Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about some symptoms of retirement plan issues. Uh, just like a list of, you know, what could be going up wrong with plans and things for plan sponsors to consider. Of course, go to that 401ksite.com for further information on our events. We've got some virtual events January for a plan provider conference. Uh, got about you know, 15, 20 people already signed up for that. Uh, if you get my emails, constant contact, uh, the admission's free. If you can't, it's a couple of dollars to be a part of it. Got a plan sponsor uh, conference in October. Um, and of course, we got live events, Arlington, Texas on May the 3rd, uh, 2024, Yankee Stadium, uh, June the 7th, 2024. Uh, forget uh, you know the games that we're gonna have at the Arlington event. We're gonna have a Thursday night game for those who wanna uh, be a part of it. Uh, that's because the Rangers have this deal at Global uh, Globe Life Field um, that uh, you can't have an event uh, the day of a game. Uh, I believe City Field. Uh, the very, very first that 4K conference, we had that same rule. I don't know if that's applicable anymore, but, you know, it is what it is. And uh, tried having the event uh, this past May. It didn't work out because uh, I wanted something in late May, and uh, uh, they had high school graduation. That's kind of weird for us New Yorkers because you know, we graduate at the end of June. A lot of places around the other, you know, country, they graduate the end of May because of the heat and all that kind of stuff. I still kind of feel kind of weird when you see kids going to school before Labor Day, but that's a whole other story. Um, that's just being a lifetime New Yorker. Yankee Stadium event, um, you know, there'll be a handful of tickets for those who want to reserve. Um, the game is going to be against the Dodgers, so that should be an interesting game. Go to that 4 for further information and articles there. A lot of sign-up pages for the um, live events as well um, pretty soon, within probably you know early September at the very latest. As uh, you know, as we go through and try to get sponsorships, which is a little bit difficult right now because uh, uh, our friends in the DCIO community, they don't have their budgets you know, uh, packed together. I don't know what it is until late December, so we'll see what's going on with that. But again, go to that 4 for further information. Uh, of course, like I said in the last episode, recording a whole bunch of episodes to take me through um, uh, vacation and whatnot. But let's get to the topic at hand. Um, I always say I'm a hypochondriac. A hypochondriac. And uh, I'm always thinking of coming down with something. I've been very, very lucky. Came to COVID, uh, never got it. Or if I did get it, it was, <laughs> I don't know about it. But as far as I know, I never did get it. I will say that uh, life uh, after the vaccine, you feel a little bit better. Uh, I don't know how many shots I've had received. I think it was, I think it's five or something. But at the early stages of COVID, every single time. Uh, I'd have a sore throat or I didn't feel like 100%, all of a sudden I felt like, okay, maybe maybe I do have COVID. But uh, when it comes to a time plan, there are obviously some symptoms to suggest that something is obviously wrong. And it's, you know, this is really about, you know, 
ideas. If you have something, maybe say something and, and look at your plan. And I, uh, even before I started uh, my own practice in 2010, again, you know, trying to come up with ideas on how to generate revenue when I was at, you know, that Fakakta law firm, Meyer Swazi, and Klein. And, uh, um, you know, I've expressed it so many times, you know, trying to generate business, you know, the idea was you know, build a national practice. And again, to this day, I will never understand why, you know, I'll talk about it ad nauseum. If we had existing clients, we had a system in place where the originating attorney, the guy who brought the client, the one who brought the client in the first place, they were a law firm partner. They get 50 cents on the dollar for any fees brought in. So if we had a, you know, a contracting company that was Long Island based and, you know, the corporate attorney had, uh, was the originating attorney, if I sold my arrested legal services to that contracting firm, the law firm partner, we get 50 cents on every buck I ever booked for that client. So, you know, $2,500 plan document, that's 1250 right into that uh, law firm partner's pocket. To me, that was a mint. But, you know, I, I, I'll still never understand it. Um, why they didn't push. Uh, Lois uh, suggested this was, uh, you know, my fault. Uh, but, uh, listen, this was a firm that uh, didn't, uh, didn't understand the future. And they're about half less than half the size than when I left 13 years ago. But one of the things that I came up with was this, you know, retirement plan tune-up. I'd review all the issues going on with the retirement plan and, you know, kind of uh, just go through the plan documents, see any issues. I'd give a review of anything that, you know, the plan sponsor was able to provide for me. So if they gave me fee disclosures, they'd talk about the fees and whatnot. And I want to say that in the 13 years that I've done it in my own practice, and you know, the year or so with uh, that law firm, um, I've still only done maybe five or six of them. Um, it's not really a popular service, even though plans sponsors theoretically could pay it from plan assets. Just really, you know, Reminds me of my mother with doctors. You know, my mother was the idea was, you know, I don't want to go to doctors because if I go to doctors, they'll find out something wrong, which is silly, but that, you know, people do believe that. And, and you know, I, I think that plain sponsors need to realize that, you know, this stuff is like kind of important. And um, uh, it's important for them to review the plan, whether they use me or use somebody else. It, you know, they really need to know whether, you know, the plan still fits their needs, whether it's being run correctly or what or, or whatnot, you know, and, and running a plan correctly is really about paying reasonable fees, taking care of the fiduciary process and making sure the plan is operating correctly according to its terms and the law. And, you know, there's some glaring problems that, you know, require a, a review, uh, in my opinion. And let's go, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long list, uh, well, not that long. Got about, you know, 14 or 15 ideas. First off, a plan where the TPA is not transparent on fees. Um, you know, to this day, even, you know, 12 years, after, oh, 11 years after fee disclosure, 
there are still TPAs that are just kind of um, evasive when it comes to fees, uh, difficult to pin down and, and whatnot. So that's, uh, that's certainly an issue uh, out there. And uh, number two, I still can't believe that this is a thing, but uh, there are plans that still, there are companies that still have a profit sharing plan and money purchase plan that covers the same group of employees. And Edgar in 2002 kind of eliminated the need for a paired plan. And what was the paired plan? Uh, we had this crazy rule that um, profit sharing plans, the deductibility was 50% of compensation. Um, Money purchase plans was, I believe, still 25 per, well, it, it, the, the limit was 25% of comp. Profit sharing, the limit on profit sharing plans was 15%. So a paired plan was, somebody would have a profit sharing plan that was discretionary and then a money purchase plan at about 10%. And uh, thanks to EGTRA, uh, we went up to 25% of comp uh, deductibility. Uh, more importantly, for 401k plans, we eliminated the idea that salary deferrals would count towards that limit. So not only did we have a 50% limit on compensation for profit-sharing plans, salary deferrals, which, you know, from the 401k plan, which is a profit-sharing plan, counted towards that limit. Uh, so if you see a plan sponsor, if there's one out there with two plans, and it, you know, covers the same group of employees. I'm not talking about union versus non-union, because there are a lot of times these union employees have a annuity money purchase plan. If they cover the same employees, you know, you have two plans when you only really need one. Next, a plan that has consistently failed discrimination testing. There's so many ways to fix that. In discrimination testing, I also put in top-heavy. Uh, if you can, if the plan sponsor is consistently failing, there are ways to fix that, and I think that that's important to um, to certainly fix that. Um, use a safe harbor design, QNEX, whatever it may be, but it, it's something to be considered. Automatic enrollment, I think, would help. Um, it's it's uh, important to have a discussion. Next, the defined benefit plan. If the plan sponsor has one that's completely underfunded. Um, you know, obviously there's got to be some sort of strategy to make sure that a plan sponsor um, can narrow the funding gap uh, one way or the other. Uh, obviously the Pension Protection Act, you know, created the red zone and the yellow zone for retirement plans and whatnot, made it easier for plan sponsors to put these defined benefit plans out to pasture. Um, it's just whether it's a you know Taft Hartley plan or um, you know solo DB plan, there needs to be a mechanism to fix these things out. Next, the defined benefit plan for a company that's increased its workforce. You know, work what worked well for a company that had two or three employees worked better when there were more. Um, my father's company, his partner, set up a defined benefit plan. Uh, back in the early, back in the mid-80s, actually. Um, I don't think it was a really bright idea uh, because my father was the licensee of the electrical contracting firm, but his partner's the one who owned it. And my father was a lot older than his partner, so my father got a nice pension plan 
Um, and it didn't really work well because of the investments that they put in the plan. They put in a lot of treasury notes. Um, and um, they increased the workforce and doubled it. And, you know, what worked well when you have a couple employees doesn't work as well when you have double that. Um, next, obviously, a plan that still to this day doesn't have a financial advisor. Uh, in this day and age, that absolutely makes no sense. Stock market right now is volatile. It wasn't like the go-go 90s where, you know, anything that was technology or communication-based was going up, uh, just doing really, really well. Uh, next, um, you know, even if a plan sponsor has a money purchase plan, they're, you know, really sometimes I feel that there's no need for it anymore. Uh, if they're covering non-union employees, a profit-sharing plan, replacing it, making a discretionary contribution still instead of a stated contribution, I think can eliminate a lot of headaches. That's just my thing. Next, uh, obviously, a 401k plan that hasn't reviewed its contract with its plan providers in the last five years. Um, you know, it's it's wrong if a, a, a plan sponsor is, you know, working under an old contract with an insurance company. And about, you know, 13 years ago, I, I was looking at a, at a company. It's a potential client. Um, and uh, they were in the mattress business. They were really well known. They're not in business anymore. I think somebody else bought them out. And um, I know for a fact that they were working under an expired um, insurance-based, company-based platform that expired you know, four or five years earlier, and they were paying an exorbitant amount of fees. I mean, like 275 basis points, something like that. And obviously, you know, we have fee transparency, but fee transparency has certainly helped pricing uh, for plant sponsors. Pricing has gone down, it's, it's tighter. And so there's certainly a need to uh, look at um, what is going on in the marketplace and seeing um, if there's more competitive pricing out there, and if you have an expired contract, I'm guaranteeing you, uh, you could probably get better pricing somewhere else. Another headache, obviously, is a plan without an investment policy statement. Again, I'll say it ad nauseum, not legally required, but it should be, you know, should be done for a plan. Uh, and IPS obviously states when, when and why plan investments are, are elected and replaced. Uh, it's an essential part of proving there's a premium fiduciary process in place. Next, uh, any plan that does not review their choice of investments in the last year, obviously you have an IPS. You have to do a, you know, do an actual job of reviewing the investments in the plan, and it's a problem. Um, you know, if you're not following the process, it's, you know. The Philadelphia 76ers had the whole idea when they were rebuilding Trust the Process. And the plan sponsors need to follow the process. You have a process in place, uh, you got to follow it, otherwise it's a fiduciary breach. So why cause trouble when you don't need to? Uh, next, any plan that hasn't seen their financial advisor in the last year, why would you know a plan sponsor pay uh, for advisor not to show up? And I've had that situation in the past. One of the few retirement plan tune-ups that I did do is I talk about it all the time. Um, 
it was quite a while ago. It was a $14 million. Um, I know it's quite a while ago because uh, I believe I was at my old office downstairs in my house. We switched rooms after the hurricane, so it's certainly after the hurricane. It was a medical practice in, in I think, Scranton or Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and they were paying an advisor. I mean, it was a broker. It was a $14 million 401k plan. And they were paying 60 basis points for this broker. So I asked the doctor, have you seen this advisor? Where's the IPS? Where are the education materials and, and whatnot? And uh, of course, it turns out, I think the broker was somehow juiced in with one of the old partners of the medical practice. So uh, that's all you need to know. And what happened was, is, um, you know, I told them you're paying some guys 60 basis points, $84,000 a year not to do their job. Uh, that's a freaking surety breach. So what'd they do? They listened to me, they hired a 338 advisor, um, and the guy was charging, you know, a fraction of that. Um, I think it was between the 338 and the actual advisor was 25 basis points or something like that. And I think this day and age, 12 years later, um, they could certainly find somebody cheaper than 25 basis points, especially when the plan is probably at 25, 30 million dollars now. Uh, obviously, next, uh, a plan that doesn't have any ERISA bond or fiduciary liability insurance. Uh, obviously, ERISA bond is legally required if you have an ERISA plan. And uh, obviously, a fiduciary liability policy, you got plan participants. I think it's important. Um, it's great to, uh, you know, avoid the potential liability um, that's involved. Next, um, obviously a 401k plan that has low participation or low average account balance per participant. Obviously a, a low average account balance, it could be a demographic issue. Uh, obviously, uh, my daughter works at a local pizzeria. If they ever did have a 401k plan, uh, obviously that would be a problem. Uh, restaurants obviously are gonna have low account balances places where they have low paying jobs. Um, the more you make, the more you can save. That's just basic um, fundamental uh, financial issues. And, um, you know, there, there are ways to obviously uh, boost participation. You may want to boost participation because obviously help with discrimination testing. Automatic enrollment to me is still the greatest thing. Not since sliced bread, but something that I've really championed ever since uh, the Pension Protection Act gave it some gravitas uh, by, you know, having the QDIA. That was my biggest negativity against automatic enrollment when it was called negative election. Parking people's money in a money market or stable value fund does nothing for plant participants. Put in a QDIA, I think does. And again, uh, to me, low participation, low average count balance, what are we doing wrong? How can we get people more involved? And, and maybe the problem of the advisor, maybe problem with CPA. CPA's got you know, the worst website on earth. Maybe it's still using the uh, Relias engine from 20 some odd years ago. Um, they're just giving you account balances by source, which is what I had 20 something years ago. And uh, obviously, uh, any plan updated, last but not least, any plan that hasn't been updated in the last two to three years, it's got to be reviewed once in a while. Things change, life changes, um, and I think that it's important to look what can be done 
but maybe needs to be done to understand the issues at hand. Okay, so that's this week's episode of the 401k podcast. You know, just have to crank out one more episode uh, within the next day or so before I fly off to Seattle. So I uh, hope you tune in for another episode next week, and uh, talk to you guys later. Take care. Bye.